the couch uh-huh. could speak. I am your host, Jessica Erman, licensed marriage and family therapist, CEO of Happy Little Brains. Glad to see so many happy faces after Thanksgiving. So hopefully all of you guys are doing pretty good regarding your boundaries or mental health and, and whatnot. And we'll explore that today if we have time. But we will go ahead and forego introductions, all familiar faces. For those listening or watching, if you want to get to know more about any of us, feel free to take a look at my website, www.happylittlebrains.com, and you'll get to read all of the lovely information about everyone here. So this week, I figured it'd be best to stay in theme of the holidays and whatnot. You know, opinions of Thanksgiving aside, we're not going (laughs) into that today. But I wanted to go over what are some things that you're thankful for in our field and in topic of holidays, what boundaries would you like to see enforced in our field? And there's a lot. We had kind of a nice little conversation before we started recording about that. So it'd be interesting to see how it gets fleshed out here. But let's get started. Well, first off, how was everyone's Thanksgiving or family time? You guys have some great food. It's lovely. Quiet. I stuck my face with so much, Jeff. (laughs) So, speaking of juiciness, let's get into the cider details, shall we? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I was looking for a specific one because one of them that came out has like a lot. And I found it and I was like, this is it. This is the one I was looking for. So I chose one because I feel like the other ones are going to be so much more fun at next time. So this one's fun, guys. And and if this is your first time listening, my name is Carissa. We are talking about the spider pages. And basically what that is, is, you know, as we're therapists in the field, some of us licensed or associates, um, we are... um, observed or kept in check by a licensing board here in California is the board of behavioral sciences and sometimes we don't practice correctly we fuck up we royally fuck up in which case we're held accountable by the board and there is the spider pages that talks about all the juiciness um which of course we're not going to give out any real names here we're going to have some fake pseudo names but we're just going to talk about it so that you guys out there know what some red flags are um and i feel like this one is our toxic toxic person um and i feel like let's call this toxic person let's see I want to give them a cool name like thirsty I want them to have a thirsty name like thirsty hmm thirsty fuck boy is that too much oh I love it how about Josh <laughs> if you're okay with it thirsty fuck boy Josh okay I'm just trying to help Let's go for it. Let's do it. Why not? <laughs> so thirsty fuckboy Josh. Not to be confused with our panelists here. Okay. <laughs> um, this one really took the cake for me. I was kind of a little speechless. Um, he was working with a couple, a heterosexual couple. This why this is important is because of a series of events that kind of comes 
afterwards, right? So he's working with them. He's trying to help them meet their goals. And somewhere along the line, he starts saying that said wife is the issue of all of their intimacy issues and thus far pushes wife out of the scene, basically. Focusing there on only the husband made it so that they had more uh, outside sessions uh, to work on his intimacy issues, would try to do closeness sessions with the husband where he was um, holding him and touching him in inappropriate places, took him to a hotel so that the other therapists in the building wouldn't think that something weird was going on, where they would be in the bedroom together, laying next to each other, um, sometimes fully clothed, other times not fully clothed. It escalated to the point where there was orgasm shared. Yes, we should not have the sex with our clients. Want to throw that out there. Um, but this uh, client was not happy with how things were going, kept questioning things to the point where he was like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. This thirsty Fuck boy, Josh kept texting the client, trying to get him back, uh, was trying to explain like how, how they were working on his intimacy issues and how he, this should be normal. Um, and it escalated to the point where, you know, client eventually, you know, made a claim and shut everything down. It was discovered later that thirsty fuck boy Josh did not have any notes or billing for these sessions, which... <laughs> I guess we know why. <laughs> I don't even know what that would look like. Like, I know sometimes as like a geek therapist trying to say like we played video games, we get creative in the sense of not fraud, but in the sense of insurance companies reimbursing for like narrative therapy or play therapy utilizing visual aids. How would you even put that into a note? like? therapist engaged client in experiential sensate focus like there you go why are all of these uh cases always about folks fucking their clients like y'all <laughs> as patients you should never ever ever choose your date from your therapist pool like it's just i know we usually Thank say you. the other way around Thank but you. i think yeah that let's put it on them Come i on, actually people. don't think that's appropriate to put it on the clients because we're all in fucking therapy too so like yeah. you know yeah. but you shouldn't be choosing your your date from your therapist like that's not appropriate ever and so like all these cases are always about somebody crossing that line like ugh, it's just and disgusting you, to me i hate it so much shouldn't be having a session in like a hotel room to explore yes intimacy. no that's a no no guys like, no no we can i go outside with some of my clients i meet them at the park and we go walking. I've met them at the local like nature conservatory where it has like little trails, but like it's always a public space during normal business hours where there's other people around. It's outside. Yeah, a hotel room is a never bed. okay. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Like what the hell? <laughs> Why? Maybe, maybe if you're a, a therapist or, or a coach or any practitioner and you're attracted to your client, and that might even be 1% of an issue. Like there's recognizing aesthetic beauty. And I would hope that, you know, everybody can do that. But there's another thing of, oh, this person scratches an itch I have somewhere. And if you recognize that right away, terminate. Just 
terminate. Get rid of them. Refer out. Yeah. Absolutely. Just get rid of them because you do not yeah. need to go down that road. Or seek supervision if you're not required to have it anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I had a fully licensed and I still pay well, to mm -hmm. control. Like, Make sure, and your supervisor, you specifically, you talk about that case, you specifically work on, I'm feeling very strong attraction towards my client. I've never experienced this, but people do. I've definitely been like, man, this guy's really hot. I like when he talks to me about these problems. But that usually fades really quickly. Like, that's a normal, like you were saying, Josh, like, you can admire, you're like, mm, you're pretty. Well, and it's also that. like, holy, holy crap, nobody this hot would ever tell me this stuff in real life. <laughs> <laughs> that's also That should be a part of it. That sure. That, and, and, yeah. and you know what? And on the third or fourth time, you're like, good Lord, the hot people are boring. Or good Lord, <laughs> hot people are messed up. Or good Lord, hot people are just like us. So whatever. But yeah, that you just first get used time, to it. of course, of course it can be weird. It's like the first five minutes on a nude beach. Doesn't mean that you're some kind of freak. It just means it's weird. And hopefully 15 minutes later, eh. Well, and it's also not uncommon on either side of the couch. We're, sh we're sharing an intimate time. You know, and most people, I mean, those of us that do this for a living, we do get used to that and we learn to normalize it and whatever, but most people don't, especially those coming to therapy, a lot of times they don't have another place where they are allowed to be intimate, where it doesn't mean that kind of intimate. And there's plenty of therapists that come into this field for their own fucked up reasons and they're fixing themselves as they fix their clients who also don't have that experience. So it is, I want to normalize the fact that it is an intimate space. It can feel intimate but there's a way to keep, there's different kinds of intimacy, you know? And I, I think that's where people go off the rails. Yeah. And in, in that vein, it, you know, for those, for clients listening as well, it is normal to be attracted to your therapist as well. Quite often we're the very first person right. who gives a shit, who mm -hmm. holds space for these very intimate, very vulnerable moments. And I have had my fair share of clients hit on me, tried to solicit sex, you know, in session, like, hey, we should fuck. I'm like, mm, we should not. Or not. Or not. Or we could not. No. No. That's no, thank you. Not. But let's talk about this. Let's, let's process this a little bit. So, I mean, I've, I've had that. I've had little kiddos have major crushes on me. But what I do not understand as a clinician who has had very attractive people on my couch, you know, males, females, I've, I've had a lady breastfeed, pull out a titty in the middle of session, right? But I don't understand the mindset behind, yeah, we're working on intimacy. Why don't we go to a hotel room so I can work on intimacy with you further? Let me touch you. I mean, same with that one therapist who had the client sit on her lap. Oh God, yeah. Like, I, mm -mm. I don't Ugh. understand. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm a human who doesn't make mistakes, right? I, I fuck up. Yeah, there have been cases where I've made mistakes and I've processed it in supervision. But I just, I really don't understand how one can go from from there and be like, yeah, let's fuck. Yeah. yeah. My my main issue was that they came to you as a couple and I just felt like there was so much of, you kind of mm -hmm. preyed on them a little bit. Oh yeah. Because you were working with them as a couple and then you're like, oh, you're the issue. And then you're making jokes like, oh, I'm going to turn your husband gay. And then you move, me, like meeting with the husband and, and, and like- You're kind of right though. Um, yeah, I'm like, why, why were you, like you had an agenda yeah. from the get go. <laughs> 
I don't work with couples, but y'all do maybe correct me if I'm wrong. It should yeah, never be house. one client over the other. The couple is never. the client. The couple right? We're never is the client. So, so people, if you're listening and you're going to couples counseling and the client and the therapist is taking a side, fucking run. That's not how it should be. They're there for you two together or to amicably part, but like the, the couple is the client, not mm-hmm. the individual. Do you guys usually do like a no secrets thing or what's your guys' take on that? Yeah, I, I have a no secrets policy. Um, you know, I have had people disclose abuse to me, you know, individually. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not something I'm going to be like, by the way, your significant <laughs> other said you're an abusive piece of shit. Right. Um, I want to make sure that they're, they're safe and whatnot, but I've had treated couples and even in cases where it's very clear that one partner is the problem. And I, I hate to say it, but even though it's very clear that one of the partners is the main reason for conflict, I'm not going to be like, dude, why are we even here? You need individual therapy. Like you, you yeah. can go home. Like we're, we're done for today, but you, dear God, you're a fucking mess. Do I think that sometimes? Yes. Do I act on it like this therapist? No, it is our job to remain unbiased in that situation and call everyone out equally, as I like to say. But for no secrets policy, I do abide by that because then if you don't have a no secrets policy and for those listening who aren't aware of that, basically when you're treating a couple, if one comes to you and says, oh, I cheated, but don't tell the other person, we don't hold that in confidence in couples therapy. We're very clear about that of, you know, what you share with me one-on-one, unless it's like abuse, of course, it is shared in the room. We don't hold secrets because that's how you can get that triangulation. Mm-hmm. And as a couples therapist, we do our very best to avoid that triangulation. Same with as child therapists, we try to avoid that triangulation with parents as well. So I personally mm-hmm. do a no secrets policy. I also believe in the no secrets policy and, and for me, um, and a lot of, a lot of therapists do see their, um, couples, like they'll have like maybe one or two sessions with the couples one-on-one to kind of get a feel usually at the beginning. Um, but for me, I'm like, if I see you as a couple, then I see you as a couple. I don't think that I can treat you with only seeing one of you guys at a time. And so it's easier to explain that no secrets policy when they're both in the room and we're talking about it together. Um, and just like Jessica said, if there's a situation where somebody calls uh, me and says like, hey, there's abuse or whatever, then we have, then that's a whole different can of worms that we have mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. um, kind of a- address. Um, but also, I, I also feel like for therapists that do work with couples, it is also um, on us to be able to talk the, uh, the couples through the process of, hey, it's not up to me to determine whether or not you guys should be together. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not what couples therapy, therapy is about. Couples therapy is about, okay, we understand as a couple that shit has hit the fan. We're not doing well, but we love each other. We want to make it work and and we need tools to help make it work. That's what couples therapy is about. Now, if you're in a space of figuring out like whether or not you want to be together, then there's a whole different set of therapy options out there. And it's on us to be able to educate our clients to be like, hey, if this is what you're looking for, this is how it goes. But if not, maybe you need discernment counseling. And here are some people that have these, that offer these services, because maybe that's not something I offer. Or if you do offer it, talk to them about it and explain the process. Right. Um, you know what I'm saying? So like, I, I just, 
it really like grinds my gears to hear when there's a couple therapists that kind of like really doesn't like help the couple. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Clearly they're clients. I, uh, I, I, I just, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just want to go back to something uh, Carissa was saying and with my own personal story and then all the trainings I've done and all the people I've talked to in the, uh, you know, sex uh, addiction, uh, sex deviance area. Uh, you know, what, what you're describing is not somebody who made an oopsie as a therapist. What you're describing is somebody who, uh, for, for whatever reason, he, he has ended up as a sex predator. And uh, you said something, Jessica, and I just want to say, it's, it's, it's not like the guy comes in and he probably said, oh, I'm going to fuck you. It, that probably was just the finish line. The whole thing was the mm. game. The whole thing was what he gets off on. Uh, the, the, okay, I did this, then this step, then this step, and I have the control and I'm playing human chess with these people. Um, I've, I've talked to, I have, uh, you know, been around, lived with, tried to help, and in some ways even been this guy along my journey. And, uh, you know, no, no judgment why he ended up that way. Who knows? That could be a completely Darth Vader evil thing, or he could not even recognize he has this. Right. Um, so, so I don't, I don't want to throw judgment on him. Hopefully he can get better and hopefully he can, you know, enjoy being an assistant manager at Home Depot. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I just think that, you know, it's important to say, this isn't just a, this isn't just a therapist who kind of went off the rails for a few minutes. This is a guy who uh, is, is by all definitions, a predator. This is by, this is somebody who was grooming those clients. This is somebody who, if you remember back to the Dateline shows where you're like, oh my God, these guys are morons. You know, you're talking to somebody who isn't a moron and who was very patient um, in this therapist, perhaps doing this over months because the finish line isn't ultimately the goal. It's the entire journey. So right. I just wanted to throw that in for some mm -hmm. perspective. And, and, and this is for this person, this is probably not the first person that that happened to it probably, yeah. or I, I was thinking maybe that, was, but, but yeah, who knows, was, maybe yeah, there exactly. were other people who had had to. It sounds mm -hmm. like he knows how to do this very well. That's what's scary in our field. If you're a therapist and you're uncomfortable talking about what you do with your clients to other therapists or your supervisor, that's a big red fucking flag. Uh, just saying being, uh, being cautious about how it looks to other therapists yeah. if it like, looks bad it's probably it probably bad. is yeah mm -hmm. oh. so okay well switching switching the script or flipping the script however you say it what is something that you're thankful for in this field in this field and i'll go first because Christy, you, remind, you reminded me of this. I'm thankful that there is a move to more authenticity mm. in the sense that when I was in grad school, so many people told me, oh, you have to have natural hair color. You have to dress business casual. You can't show tattoos. Surprise, motherfuckers. I'm literally wearing like a Nickelodeon t-shirt, my tattoos show in session. My hair is a highlighter and I get more clients that way. I do, because mm -hmm. people are like, oh my god, my therapist is cool as fuck. She has, like, purple hair. Like, she cusses in session. And when I have, like, 420-friendly clients or kink clients, they're like, 
oh yep. my god not only do you know about it textbook wise you've lived that life like oh my god you get me and mm-hmm. i love how i'm so thankful that there is that shift now because i've had old white therapists who clearly should not be therapists anymore <laughs> and just try to be like oh well you're bipolar no bitch i have ptsd uh, not bipolar but thanks and prescribe me all sorts of meds that my body didn't react to quite well but i love how there's a shift from that into like video game therapy into swearing and mm-hmm. like i'm thankful because all throughout grad school i was like ah fuck i gotta put myself into a pretty box wrap it in a pretty bow and really stuff who i am down deep inside to only explore with friends and family and expecting my clients to be authentic themselves when i can't be authentic so the fact that there's more of an expansion on geek therapy on swearing in session and seeing other therapists with really cool hair color and mm-hmm. seeing all these other specialties, I am so grateful for that because I have room to be me. And my sessions are way more productive. I feel great at the end of the day and I don't feel burnt out as fuck like I used to. Right? I'll just piggyback on that. I'm definitely in agreement with a lot of that. I am, I am also grateful that my school, while they definitely encourage a lot of the same similar things. Like I was told tank tops aren't appropriate. I'm like, I live in Florida, yo. Like we live in tank tops and flip-flops. Like this is never going to happen, you know? Um, but they also had a small amount of like, but if you can figure out how to do that authentically, be ethical, and you can build a niche around that and build a practice around that by all fucking means, have fun. So they didn't really discourage it. And, And I think that they did a good job of sort of like, kind of encouraging us to just think critically about it. Like I, I, I've told several of you guys, I want to rebrand as the sweary therapist because I'm grateful that so many of my clients really embrace that. And I get most of my clients through word of mouth references and they'll tell their friends, oh, she's cool. She swears, <laughs> you know, and that's, and so my new tagline is going to be, it's just fucking therapy. And I, you know, I got a little feedback. It's like, that might be an uphill battle. I'm like, that's cool. That's what I want. Ooh, I know yeah. that I can build that. <laughs> I can build that niche. There are people out there that want a blue haired, tattooed, sweary therapist. That's what, yeah, exactly. So I'm very grateful for that shift too. And I also would like to say that I'm grateful for the trainings and the variety of, of, places I can receive more education too. Like I know a lot of people poo-poo on like social media, but for me, it's been instrumental in helping me connect with communities that I've always felt adjacent to, but didn't really have a way in, if that makes sense. Um, and being able to follow so many different people and learn from them and their communities and, and learn the language I should use and understand their stories and things like that. So I'm actually really grateful for the number of therapists out there that have these accounts that share their stories, that share their communities with other people so that I've been able to learn from all of them, which is also another reason that pushed me into doing something like this myself. So that's that's what I'm grateful for. I love how you mentioned that because that's actually how I met most of the people on this podcast through Instagram. And granted, I knew of David through school and then Chris, I happened to go to the same school, but we all met through social media or reconnected through social media. And it's really cool to see people use their platform for such cool shit, right? Thank you for sharing, Kristen.
Yeah, I love what you guys just shared. Those are some of the coolest things that are happening right now. Um, what I'm thankful for is the, um, I guess, is the the hope, the hope for change. Um, and why I say that, because I feel like it, it isn't there yet. But there was a big thing um, I remember at school um, where they were talking about social justice and being advocacy and how that's important to our field and being a part of like the association and trying to advocate on behalf of our clients. And just to be real with you, I don't feel like that's something that I really observed um, in the field at all. And so just the fact that we were talking about it at the time when I was a student was like really intriguing to me because I was like, well, where is this happening? Like, is this happening? Um, and I've seen little trinkles of it over the past, I would say like maybe a year and a half or so of like, hey, there's like these different workshops that are being um, coming out, like Black Minds Matter and um, like all these different workshops out there that are talking about like, how do we help these different populations that have been impressed? How do we help these different populations get the, the uh, access to mental health resources that they so desperately need? And no way, shape, or form am I saying that this is actually happening to the fullest extent that it could be happening. But I'm saying I am thankful for the fact that the door has been opened, that the conversation is starting to happen, that, it, that things are starting to get into place. And I hope that this encourages more people of color, more people that um, who have colored hair, tattoos, um, different lifestyles um, come into the field because we're, we're needed. We're needed to show up for people because not everybody is one thing and we're all different and we wanna see ourselves with the people that we're working with. Well said. Very well said. I think that in, uh a weird way, we are the social historians of where we are now. And I think that you can look back, um, whether, it's, whether it's America or even going further back to uh, uh, cultures that we all have back in our blood. And uh, I think that stories have always been a big deal and stories, whether you look at you know tribes or clans or whatever other groupings, storytellers have played such an important role in explaining what's happening in questioning people's beliefs without questioning them in taking other people's stories and uh spinning them for for a third person and i remember when i was probably seventh or eighth grade um there was one of those enrichment workshops or whatever that three or four storytellers from, I think it was the Ozarks, uh, came in up to Maine. And in Maine, we do have some thick accents and these people had very other thick accents. And you, you know you live in a place that has thick accents when you hear the thick accents. Um, it's people you've lived with your entire life and you're still like, pronounce your F and R's. Um, but, but, but anyway, um, I remember sitting there and, 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 and thinking, my God, these people are so different than us, but we're all telling the same stories. And I think that was part of why I became a journalist. I was told growing up, the only thing that I was good at doing was writing. And then I 
got a job at a newspaper and I found out I really like talking to people. I like hearing their stories. I like writing down their stories. I love my own stories, but I love writing down all these stories and I love telling people these stories. And this is what I did for 25, 30 years. I mean, aside from the fact I had all those problems going on with myself. And then when I went to get healthy, I kind of threw my, I kind of threw everything I was away. And then I started to very carefully try to tease the healthy things out of there. Because for me, doing the whole, oh, I'm going to excise the bad thing. Well, that didn't work for years and years and years and years. You don't excise, or I couldn't excise the bad thing. I had to just, you know, cut and burn. And then let's see what grows. So as I started teasing out the good things, I realized how much, you know, of, of the jobs that perhaps you know, drove me to my addictions, um, how much I actually loved them, how much I loved sitting around talking to my colleagues, my colleagues who love telling stories just as much as I do, who, who value hearing a story as much as I do, who want to sit and talk about, oh, this person eight years ago did this little thing, and 15 minutes into the story say, what was I talking about? And everybody just kind of looks at each other and is okay with it. And then I loved the going out and the talking to people, whether it was your 105th birthday or whether you had just lost your 10 year old kid to drugs and I had to interview you in both cases, you know, hearing those stories, hearing those human things. And I lost those for a very, very long time in my early recovery. And I didn't know I was going there as all this happened, but I ended up starting to write the books because what do I do? I tell my story. And then I started people coming to me, wanting me, wanting to tell me their story because I was the only person whose story they'd ever heard that was like theirs. And through that, it evolved into more books, but the coaching and the coaching, the best part of this is the stories, you know, and, and, and hearing them and, and sharing them and, you know, it's, it's, I love it. And I'm so thankful that professionally, I am probably as happy as I've ever been because it reminds me of when I was a young kid, 18, 19 years old, working with a bunch of, granted, they were, it's a little funny because I was working with people who were all six, seven years older than me, um, but but, you know, very much treated me as their equal. Now, I'm, now when I talk to uh, young therapists, young coaches, because I'm really a young coach, it's people who are 15, 20 years younger than me in, the most, in most cases. Um, but it's still the same thing. We're all just a bunch of storytellers. And I think whether it's Instagram or these podcasts that we do, I think that we are just the his social historians of the early 21st century. And I am so thankful that, you know, hey, maybe some kid in college in 100 years is going to cite something that I wrote as totally a bunch of bullshit in 100 years. But it's there. And that's awesome. And I think that, you know, I think that's why so many of us want to write books. So many of us want to do podcasts. So many of us want to be podcast guests. I tell the same damn story five times a week. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And the, the cherry on top is that this time I know I'm actually helping people and I give a crap about it. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox and let you guys have your show back. Great performance on the soapbox, Dan. Yeah. Love it. David, I know you have to pop off soon. I would love to hear what, what you're thankful for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just grateful for, you know, I'm sorry my phone heated up and I'm on vacation and 
Um, so I've wanted to be on this podcast for weeks, and this is just the time that I'm out to have it. I'm only allowed to be on for a few more minutes. And luckily, the tour guide was nice enough to um, be willing to pit stop and extort, extend our tour uh, a little bit longer so that I could thank be on the podcast. Thank you, tour guide. Yeah, yes. Um, and thank you. And, um, and I've told him about the podcast, so I think he'll be listening later. Um, but um, I'm grateful for some of the things Jessica and uh, Krissa uh, mentioned about um, being able to be at a time when it's authentic. Um, and um, I'm also grateful to be a therapist during this particular time. I don't know if anybody mentioned that um, while my phone was heated, but yeah, I think that this is a particular time where people just really need more therapy now more than ever. So I'm grateful for that. Um, and the last thing I'm grateful for is that um, one of my clients uh, told me uh, this past week um, that uh, I helped uh, her with um, with having more hope, um, and um, and it was our it was our last uh, session, and so um, that just meant uh, the world to me because um, I like you know um, like we've been talking about uh, on Discord. Um, including uh, with Josh, you know, struggle with uh, imposter syndrome sometimes. And so to hear a client uh, say that, um, it really meant a lot to me to, to hear that because that's really, that's really what I hope for. And I think maybe hopefully every therapist hopes for is that we'll just increase our client's ability to have hope in their lives just a little bit. And so that really um, made my day, made my week to hear that. And um yeah, and so those are uh, three things that I'm uh, grateful for. And uh, I'm grateful for Jessica for having me as a guest on this podcast um, and going out of her way. And even when I was like busy, I'm like, no, I can't. I, I don't know if I can make it this week, just letting you know. And she's like, still, you know, I will still, we'll still be here, um, you know, whether you can make it or not. And I've tried my best to make it whenever I can. And uh, on that note, um, I do have to go, but um, hope you guys had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving and continue to have a uh, good week. Um, and I know that Thanksgiving can be a stressful time, and we're we're all aware of that. Uh, so, but hopefully it's not too stressful, and hopefully um, you know you're able to get through the week and maybe even have a good week. Thank you, David. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that we were able to go through the hell and fuckery of grad school together. We had yes. classes together and yeah. you have helped keep me sane and through the passing of one of like our it. classmates as well, you were right yeah. there. So I am forever thankful for you and your dad's going to be joining us on a future podcast yes. too. You will. So thank you for all that you do. Go enjoy your vacation. Get the fuck off the phone. <laughs> go. All right. Go I'm going. Fun. I'll talk to you Take soon. Care. Bye, Jessica. Bye. Bye. I love him so much. Oh, we, we go back, <laughs> we go back. But I would like to kind of explore the other side of therapy, because one of the questions that we got, and I know we haven't done questions in a minute, is do you think being a therapist is worth all the school exams and dealing with the bureaucracy? How do you say that word? Bureaucracy. There you go. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. Uh, the other word I had trouble with this past week was reciprocity. Reciprocity. Oh my God, that word is the hardest word it's ever. So 
hard. Oh my goodness. Words, I mean, as therapists, I fuck up on words. So, words are hard. So much. <laughs> words are so hard. But that's kind of in line with the other part that I wanted to explore, which was what boundaries would you like to see enforced in our field? So that question's kind of twofold. Of, do you think being a therapist is worth all the exams and all that fuckery? Why or why not? And what boundaries would you like to see enforced in our field? I'll go first on this one. Um, school, I, I wish we had David here for this one, but school, Carissa, we went to the same school. This shit did not fucking prepare me for shit at all, at all. And I'm, I know we've mentioned the school that we all went to quite a few times in this podcast. I'm not going to bring it up again, but you can listen to past ones if you're really curious to know where we went. But I really did not feel prepared. And I think the telling sign was one of my first law and ethics classes where the professor asked was like, and it, it was a Christian university, nothing about Christian, nothing against Christianity. But I remember one of the professors asked, where do we get our law and ethics from? And one person said the Bible. And I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, kind of true, but no, no. And you're sitting here in grad school. What happened in the journey to get here? And it felt, I don't know, it felt way easier to me than undergrad. Undergrad, I felt, was significantly harder than grad school. I don't know if it's maybe because I had more exams in undergrad and I had more papers in grad school, but grad school was a breeze for me. And I've heard that with a lot of my colleagues too, but the exam, having just taken the exam, it was bullshit. Let's be real. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call it for what it was, what it is, because we're tested on, at least for the California exam, the California MFT exam. We're tested on 24 different theories. We're tested on the entire DSM. And for those who don't know what the DSM is, it's a book of bullshit. I mean, it's helpful to have a guideline to diagnose, but there's disorders in here that should not be. There's disorders that should be in here. I have a bone to pick with whoever the fuck created the DSM and has not updated it in 20 some years. It's fucking it's stupid. But with all that, I had to memorize that. I had to memorize the theories. And I don't use all this shit. It's all memorization on things that we learned in grad school, but I already took a law and ethics class. Why am I taking it again? It, it should really be a test on how we apply the knowledge, not our memorization of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Stupid. And the boundary I would like to have with our field is with the fucking regulatory boards. And with this idea that us as therapists cannot be who we authentically want to be. Like I was supposed to be featured in a porn book and, and whatnot and a book on pornography. And I couldn't even like a lawyer advised to not have my name on it because of fear of the BBS. And same with, I had a past supervisor say that I shouldn't be as open about my psychedelic use or about my use of cannabis, but I treat clients who use cannabis as a form of healing. And I treat clients who use psychedelics as a form of healing. Hell, I'm even looking into becoming psychedelic certified and to be able to use that legally and ethically in sessions. But I hate this fucking red tape of, no, you can't talk about that. What will the clients think? Like my clients come to me for this shit. Why not be well-versed in it, right? That's how I see it. Mm -hmm. But I don't like this red tape of you can't do that because of the BBS. Fuck that. 
I mean, yes, be ethical. Don't fuck your clients. But <laughs> there's a huge difference between being unethical and being authentic. Right? That's what I would change, personally. And fix my kid parents. I fucking oh my God. my kid parents. <laughs> Nothing pisses me off more. Like, the kid comes in sobbing, and the parents like, why isn't my kid better? I'm like, because you're a fucking asshole. Like, maybe do better. I don't right? know. But I, I can't stand those parents who just drop their kids off at therapy and expect everything to be sunshine and rainbows while undoing everything between session. I'm not a miracle worker. I love being a kid therapist, but I hate fix my kid parents. I'll step off my soapbox now. <laughs> well, since you put my name out there, since we went to the same school, <laughs> I'll go second. <laughs> Um, okay, so on, on the school part of the question of whether or not I think all the schooling and the exam, I have not taken the uh, clinical exam yet because I'm not at that stage of my associateship yet. Um, but on the school side of it, I have a love-hate situation. Um, I'm just going to be completely honest. Um, the love of it is that I do feel like it's what it is what gives us um, something to fall back on. If you, if you are in a situation where you just really have no idea, you're, you're with a client, you have no fucking idea, like you're blanking, like it's a rough day, you've had too many clients, you don't have, it's, it's there. It's there in the back of your mind of, okay, I know what to do, I can handle this crisis, right? Um, but also I feel like depending on what kind of school we're talking about, it can be a barrier because a lot of people of color don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for a fucking graduate degree. Don't remind me about my student loans, man. I know, right? We don't. We don't. And then we, we do this and then we're like, okay, yeah, we did this and now we have student loans. And then there, we're made this promise of, oh yeah, you'll do 10 years at some place and um, it'll be forgiven. And then you hear all these reports of it's never forgiven. Mm hmm and so it's like I've given 10 years, I, in addition to the, the amount of time I spent at school and amount of hours that I spent trying to get licensed and the, the exams, I've given 10 years of my life to working below pay and you're not going to forgive it? Like, like that's like, especially it really hurts my heart to hear that about the, the, um, the armed services when they did that to them. Like that was really upsetting to hear. Um, so I have a love hate relationship for the school thing, man. Like there's too much, just too much of a barrier to getting access to allow more of mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. into the field. Um, and, and aside from, I didn't even mention the whole, we work for free. The first part of us getting into this business, like, <laughs> like people just take it. You. you know what I'm saying? Like, where in the, okay, I'm paying you X, Y, but Z money and, and I have to volunteer? Yep. How, am I, how am I paying for myself? Like there's a certain level of privilege that you have to have to be able to accomplish the, the, this ability to, to pursue this field. So mm -hmm. I, I do believe that there's a love and relationship for it for me personally. And I'm not saying that to attack anybody who decides whether or not they want to do it. I love what I do. I, I knew I wanted to do this at a young age. I tried to try to find other things because 
hey, it's not accepted in the community. And I'm glad that we're changing that. Like that's, we need to change that. We need to do better. Um, when I say community, I mean black community. I'm sure there's other uh, colored communities or people of color uh, communities or cultural backgrounds that have the same type of story of what I'm talking about, where there's a, there's a negative connotation associated mm-hmm. with what we do. Um, and I'm not saying you should let that be a barrier for you to pursue it. If you want to pursue this field, pursue it, especially if you have good intentions and you feel like this is something you'd love to do. Um, but as far as like the exams and stuff, I agree 100% with what Jessica said. The current uh, Diagnostics and Statistics uh, Manual, DSM, um, it was updated in 2013. And that one you, one of the ones that made me really upset about that one, which was the DSM-4, the current one is DSM-5, but DSM-4 in particular, there was, you could not diagnose a, someone uh, like a child with PTSD. Like yeah. it wasn't even in there. And so it was like, so let me get this straight. You, a kid could be raped or, you know, witness a murder, but because they're not, you know, 18 and up, they don't have PTSD. They just need not a lot of love. They just need a lot of love. Like, get the fuck out of here. No, <laughs> no. And that's just one example of what was wrong with it. And it, there's continuous examples with the, the new edition that came out in 2013, the DSM-5. There should, that should be in there. Topic for another episode. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm, there should, mm-hmm. that should be in there. <laughs> That's not in there. And there's people out here that are just really just trying to get their name out there by making these, these bite-sized, you know, quotes about, oh yeah, I think X, Y, Z. Like, come on now. Like, I, I feel like there needs to be more people advocating for things, more people talking about this in an open, you know, scenario. Like, who the fuck is creating this damn book? Like, why are we who are working in this field not a part of its creation and a part of what we're working with and what we're seeing in our clients? We should have a say in it. And I feel like there should be, a, just like there's open source for like video games or um, like certain things in the tech field, there should be an open source situation for that book, at least for us in the field that are working in it. Um, but that's just my opinion. I could totally be wrong. I have much to learn, I'm sure, on this journey to licensure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm open to anybody else's uh, uh, opinion. If you got something to say, like, come up to the plate, I'm let, ready to listen to you. But that's just where I stand with it. Um, but yeah, whoever's next, like, feel free. I think the APA, they, they published the DSM. And I do believe that they, they do put out a call for, like, working groups. And it, it's a multi-year process for them to make changes to the DSM. That's about as far as I know, though. I don't know anything about how it works. Who do you get on a group like that? I just know that we discussed it in my first master's degree program. We talked about what was happening rather than, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But I, I figure since that. I'm talking, I'll go next. Yeah, <laughs> but go ahead, Jessica, what was that? On that? I remember in my undergrad, we talked a lot about the changes going on in the DSM. Nothing was mentioned in graduate school on the changes in the DSM. I did like my advocacy class, though. That was a bomb-ass class. But I remember reading on one of the Facebook groups, um, the therapist Facebook groups, which is another topic for another episode. But I remember reading that the APA wasn't even like they had someone that they was writing things for them. And that person was making a claim that parental alienation 
wasn't a thing. So now so we got kids that can't have PTSD. Now kids can't have parental alienation. And then I remember Josh was talking earlier um, or before we started recording about how in the DSM gambling's in there, but insurance ain't going to reimburse for that shit. Same with video game therapy. It's a widely known thing, but insurance isn't going to reimburse for it. So just because it is or isn't in the DSM doesn't mean shit. And it's sad. Just my two cents. That's sad. Go ahead, Christy. <laughs> so in terms of schooling and exams and things like that, like my school was way too expensive. Just like to kind of piggyback on Carissa, like the cost of grad school is absolutely ridiculous. I did absolutely enjoy my experience. I felt like it gave me a great foundation of critical thinking. Did it teach me exactly everything I need to know? Of course not, but no program does. And I may also be a little biased. I'm also a professor, not at that school in a completely different kind of program, but I, I regularly talk to my students about like, I'm only giving you the foundation. Like I can only give you so many scenarios and so many practice things. You're going to get out there in the real world, real world. And hopefully I've given you enough of a foundation where you can pull knowledge from all these other places to be able to figure out what the fuck to do in, in the situation that you find yourself in. And I feel like my school did a pretty good job of that. We did a lot of role play. We did a, like a lot of crisis role play too, where they give us not really a script, but like you, you, you get a character and then, you know, and I'm like, I'm not an actor, but it ended up being so cool and so helpful. And, and I did it all online through, you know, video and things like that. So I, I really enjoyed my education in that regard, but you are absolutely 100% right. It is a privileged thing to be able to do, even though I'm up to fucking my eyeballs in debt. And I will be for the next 25 years, you know, cause I'm on the income driven repayment <laughs> plan. But still, you know, but that was a choice that I made because this is something I feel very passionate about and it's something I very much enjoy doing. I also, in terms of the test, I, I feel both kinds of ways about it. Like as an educator, I hate standardized tests. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. You know, in my first degree, I took a whole bunch of classes on tests and measurements and things like that. And I just, I, I could just see how it's all wrong in all the places that we have all these tests and it's a moneymaker. And it pisses me off in that regard. I will say that I took the older version of the NCMHCE, which is the, um, um, through the NBCC, there's two exams for counselors. If you want to be a licensed counselor, depending on what state you're in, we're called different things. Um, but we have the N NCE test and we have the NCMHCE. And the way that the NCMHCE test is, the alphabet test is what a lot of people will call it. Um, it was like scenario based where you get like a, a case scenario and then you would have to be like, you'd get like 10 options and you'd have to select the ones that are right, but you would get points for selecting the ones that are right, but you'd also lose points for selecting the options that are wrong in terms of like, what data would you collect in the diagnostic process or what, what questions would be appropriate here in the interventions. And so it had different categories, you know, there was like the diagnostic side, there was the intervention side. And I actually, thought it was really freaking cool the way that they did it because it didn't feel like what most tests feel like is a trivia game you know like some asshole made this thing up in what year and you're like I don't know does it matter when I'm in the therapy room what difference does it fucking make who came up with this theory and what year that happened and that's how I feel a lot of tests are they're just like what's the definition of this word and who came up with this when and it's like that has no bearing on what I'm doing in practice and I feel like this test attempted 
<laughs> attempted to do that. And I was also lucky because I went to a K-CARP school, which is the accrediting body for counseling programs. And with that, I could actually take my exam my last semester of graduate school. So I didn't have the real world where things are very gray to color my knowledge that I've picked up because the test kind of is stuck being very black and white. And that's another complaint I have about the test is that it doesn't account for, it's not trauma-informed, for example. No, no. Right. I had that same experience with mine. Ours in California, the law and ethics and the licensing exam are kind of similar. It's been a minute since I've taken the law and ethics one, but the licensing one is fresh in my mind as I literally, yeah. a week ago today, oh my goodness, time flies. So when I took it, they gave us like a vignette and then we had four options we can choose from, but it would give a vignette and then it was like, okay, what are your legal and ethical obligations or how would you proceed? And it's not as black and white as people think. And you made a great point of the real world experience clouds it because I've been a school-based counselor. I've worked in community mental health, I've worked in residential, and now I run and own my own private practice. But in how I would handle a case, so fucking different from how I would answer on the exam. And mm -hmm. based on my clinical knowledge and supervision and grad school knowledge but what they're testing on is so different and that's why i wish like can i just submit like a videotape of me right doing the shit like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. showing you all the cps calls that i've made like right. what about that because how you would actually handle a real world situation and the by the book textbook what you have to do and even then there's so many great areas i've called camp lawyers and camp is california association of marriage and family therapists i've called them and consulted several times and several times they're like we don't fucking know and i'm like if y'all don't know how the fuck am i supposed to know like exactly yeah, I tested on this mm -hmm. so, again, that's how i feel too sense. like yeah like if just in the interventions like hardly anybody really does straight CBT or straight this or straight that. And it's like, it's kind of a conglomeration of lots of things, you know? And so I was, I'm very grateful that, you know, adding to the grateful thing, I'm grateful that I was able to take my exam. And I actually did that three years ago to the day a week ago is when I've passed my exam. So I've just been accumulating hours trying to, that's all I've left are just the hours for licensure. But in terms of boundaries, I, I kind of wanted I have two, two things in the boundaries. One, I think more therapists need to practice the boundaries they teach their clients. You know, we talked about the Facebook groups. You know how people are like, oh my God, I can't pass the exam. And then they're like, oh, well, how are you studying? They're like, well, I'm not. And I have 60 clients a week and I work another job and I have 25 kids and I have all this other shit. And you're like, boundaries, man. <laughs> like put some limits on your life. Like you can't do all of the things. You would never let a client, well, not let, but you would never encourage a client to live the life you're living. So I think we need to practice more of what we, we preach, but to kind of go to the pay and the cost and, and that our ability to get paid what we're worth is policed by insurance companies and each other to a certain degree. Like we, we limit each other a lot too, in terms of like, oh, you're just a registered therapist. You don't, you shouldn't have rates that high or an insurance company won't let us bill for that. Like as though I'm offering different services than someone that's more advanced, even though the research shows that a student therapist, a registered therapist and an advanced therapist all have similar outcomes in the end. So like, Thank you. what the fuck? Thank you. 
Thank you. Right. I've that so many times. Like, you can't charge that much as an associate. Fuck you. I am niched. I know what I'm doing. I have trained other clinicians. Who the fuck are you to say just because I'm a sis, an associate, I can't charge for my experience and my mm-hmm. work? Hate that shit. Mm, right. Okay, that's that's enough for me. So, <laughs> Josh, what do you have to say? <laughs> well, listening to uh, each of your individual stories and how I, uh, as a person, relate to uh, each of your individual stories, um, it sounds like it would most certainly not be worth the money for <laughs> me. Um, but I also think that. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking about is, as you know, we're talking about these these different niches and how you know I I have plenty of uh, accreditations, but accreditations are worth the paper they're printed on, uh, much like diplomas, much like licenses, and uh, I I think that we are moving, and this may be something for another show, but I think that we are moving into a world where uh, the lines between you know, nosy neighbor who helps out too much and Rhodes Scholar Nobel Prize winning therapist are really falling by the wayside uh, with technology, with deregulation, with uh, specialization. And more than anything, I think that uh, what's best is that I see and I hear from three people who are very um, malleable and are ready to evolve and are ready to go wherever the mental health needs of the world will take them. And I think what we're talking about here or what you're talking about here is you're talking about the rigidity that comes with the DSM. You're talking about the rigidity that comes with the old white men who wear the lab coats and decide whether or not we uh, can gamble or or look at pictures of naked people and uh, whether that makes us, you know, criminally insane or just another guy on the street. And, uh, I think that I think that that era is disappearing, and I think that that era of human being may be disappearing, and those are the growing pains we're going through in this country. And I think you see these growing pains everywhere, and the field of mental health, where you're talking about, I mean, you've got four very different cats here right now. I mean, how the hell else would we ever meet and hang out and all get along and realize how much more we have in common than, than not? Um, it's because of technology. It's because, you know, some of the licensure deals are different where, you know, thankfully I don't have to go that route because I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing this. Um, and I did look into it. Uh, but I think that more than anything, we have to be prepared to, uh, evolve with what the world needs and with what the people need. And good Lord, of course, I don't need what my great grandparents needed. Yeah, I do on Maslow's hierarchy, you know, that bottom stuff we all need, maybe level two stuff we need. That level three, four, and five stuff is not the same as it was 60 years ago, and it's not the same as it will be in 60 years. So listening to people who have been practicing for 50 years or listening to a book that has basically had the same way of changing since its inception, much like some of our documents hanging in Washington, um, it, it's. I think that we're going to go through a giant, giant change, the kind that in 500 years they will be talking about and they will have some kind of clever thing on it, re, 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 reformation, um, what, whatever it is. Um, but I think that, uh, I think what's cool is that 
we all seem like we're the kind of people, no matter what our exact experience is personally or professionally, who want to help people, who want to know how to help people and not just pull it out of our ass, and who uh, who want to share these who want to share these kinds of stories and want to see a better world. I heard somebody recently say the key to world peace is that we have to stop traumatizing each other, and. That may be that may be what we're doing now is just, you know, if enough of us, if we can get 20% of the people in the world to be therapists and coaches, and we can each do a really good job on five people, then we've untraumatized the world. And that, that, that may just be what we're doing uh, at, at the end of the day. But um, yeah, as far as boundaries go, um, you know, you're, you're all in very different situations than I am. Um, I really appreciate the fact that in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, I can always hit that button um, and pretend something, you know, for, oh, I guess the internet went down, or I don't know if that was you or me, or, or, or whatever it is. I, I can, I have an ejector seat, um, and I think that for those of you who see people face-to-face, -face, uh, I, and I've been in therapy for 20 years myself. I think that there needs to be some kind of standard uh, where you you can you can just you know give give the client a finger and uh, you know have them forcibly removed from your office. Um, yes, please. <laughs> this is you why know, I do self a private yeah, practice. Yeah, exactly. That, Fucking that, fantastic. Amen. I mean, amen. Yeah, amen. And and I, uh, you know, it's funny, Jessica, earlier, you mentioned uh, talking about um, the, the horrible parents, and you were going on a little bit of a rant, which was funny, because it reminded me of listening to my parents, who were elementary school teachers back in the 80s. So they've got these kids, my, my mom taught second grade, my dad taught sixth. So they would literally sit there. And I now recognize sound like two therapists because nobody had their kids in therapy back then. So the closest thing to a therapist was my parents, um, who also had to teach everybody else at the same time. And, you know, come conference time, how do you tell the parent that, you know, maybe if you got your kid to bed before midnight, and that was a priority, um, you know that 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 kind of stuff. Um, it, it's it's funny because I never thought about my parents as elementary school teachers in the '80s being the child therapists, child coaches of 30, 40, Jesus, 40 years later. Um, and uh, and that th that just that just came to me that you know it, it's it's funny again with the evolution. Just trying to make the world a better place. I think that's what we all have in common. And some of us paid a lot and some of us paid a little, but at the end of the day, we're doing good things and you can't take it with you. Right. I like the connection you made to education, like educators and anybody in the helping profession, whether we're talking to folks in healthcare, you know, I've worked in higher education and it's almost like, and I've worked in healthcare, it's like you're a de facto therapist or how many people's hairstylists will say something like that. Or there's so many tattoo artists, you know, whatever. There's so many folks that are in these sort of service lines of work, you know, coaches, I include you there too. Like we're all here to help out. And one of the things for me, I feel most comfortable able to do that with the training that I've received. But if someone else has that fucking confidence and that ability to be empathetic and just there for someone, I don't care what field you, you work in. Like, I think you're right. We very much have like an, an epidemic of trauma. We've all been fucked up in some way or another, all of us. And if you haven't yet, it's probably coming. I'm sorry. Like, it's just probably going to happen.
It's oh, it's point. there. It's there already. <laughs> oh, it's there. <laughs> I'm sure it is, but you know, in case they haven't really come to terms with that. <laughs> I mean, fuck, this pandemic's been a global trauma for everybody. Whether whether you believe in it or not, whether you fall on one side or the other or whatever, it's been traumatic watching people react the way that they have. Like we've all been traumatized. And it's I one thousand percent agree with what you just said. Um, and I want to point this out as for anybody who's currently in school or just graduated, like um, you know, I have, or even even I would even put Jessica in that situation of being a therapist or working during the pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our our cohort, the cohort that was working with clients during the pandemic, we're a different cohort. Yes, we are a different cohort. I had my own practicum, like clinical supervisors be like, I don't know if I could do what you're doing right now. I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. being in school and trying to come to work to do my practicum hours. Like Like I just can't even imagine because it was a whole different beast. There were yeah. people that couldn't continue on at their yeah. sites because they were like, oh, liability, you can't go there. Then there were people that were doing it online and there was liability about that. Oh, we don't want you to be at home. Um, the like, laws changing to have yeah. through. Yep, all of that shit. And then trying to figure out how to go in day by day, talking to people that were like, um, for or against whether or not COVID was a hoax or whether the vaccines were going to be there and people whose families died and they were crying to you on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like we're just a whole different breed. Well, and on top of that, we didn't just have COVID. I'm sorry, Jessica. Yeah. We also had everything that happened last summer. You have, I mean, we just had several trials Election. that are wrapping up. There's been an mm-hmm. election. There's so much shit that has happened in the last two years. And then we all have our own personal traumas and tragedies that have occurred inside of all of that. And we're not even start my private practice until the thing shit started, shit hit the fan. My sister was murdered, all this other shit. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna open a private practice. We are 100% a different fucking breed of therapist. Absolutely. It's survival of the fittest. We're watching that. It's it's, it's like the crypto market to the stocks where it's a hundred times faster. (laughs) We are going through a a time in history right now that is a hundred times faster than we're used to. And those of us who are going to survive are going to be those who embrace changing technology, however that means across the board. And and not just saying, man, 1957 was great. Sure was, but guess what? We're not there anymore. We know some other things and it seems like mother nature is coming calling. So get with the program, learn as much as you can, adapt as quickly as you can, because right now at this point in history, only those who can evolve the fastest are going to make it and are going to succeed and are going to do well. Seriously, and I've seen so many of my colleagues struggle with telehealth. That's how I became a lead clinician at my last site because I was training people in telehealth etiquette and how to have sessions with clients. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing either. No one (laughs) trained us pre-COVID. It was just, congrats, you're going to have sessions online now. And I'm just like, fuck. I did all my school online. I was so thankful for that. I'm like, I did sessions this way already. (laughs) I I did mine in person. All of my shit, practicum, school, I sucked ass when it came to online classes. I have really bad ADHD. 
So if I have any environmental shit going on, and now I'm at home doing therapy in my pajamas with my dog yeah. here, constant interruptions. I swear, okay. my neighbor thought it was the perfect time to do like a six month renovation the second mm. I started telehealth. But <laughs> it also goes in line with kind of what we talked about a couple episodes ago and what you highlighted, Josh, in that our generation really is different. If you look at the 90s alone and that tech- technological boom, where we went from floppies to now we have holographs and I have AirPods in my ears. Mm. And I remember my, my teacher is saying, you're not gonna have a calculator on you. Bitch, I got it on my watch now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it really goes to say that our generation really is the generation or several generations. Cohort. <laughs> to cohort that have been forced to adapt not only to technology, but mm to the field as a whole. And I really want some shit to be written about us. Like there is about Freud. I mean, outdated as fuck. Where's our shit? Like yeah. we're the boss ass motherfuckers who have helped heal people through so much time of chaos while we hold our own space to be like, what the fuck? And then we <laughs> log into the session to be like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Right? But no one prepped us for this. It was just like, hi, motherfuckers. Yeah. So, yeah, we are a totally different cohort. And mm-hmm. round of applause for us for holding space right? not only for ourselves, Yay. but for the shit show that is life. Because, yes, everyone and their mother has trauma, typically because of their mother. But, <laughs> you know, so wrapping that up, I do want to ask, anyone have something cool that they're working on that they want to share with people? I'm this close to being market? fully licensed and rebranding. When that happens, I will let you all know. Uh, we, we've been able to see glimpses at this rebranding. Y'all are in for a treat. Like, <laughs> yes. rebranding is spot on. Um, I personally will be making tiny little, like, squishy dudes that look like... Squishy dudes. Dude. Gonna look like Ooh, dude. exciting. But it's going to have googly eyes. And it's going to be like little... Like a stress ball squishy? Stress ball, but more like my dinosaur oh, friend here. I swear, she. he's like half of me. Like, he's the biggest guy ever. But I want this nice like little thing that you can hold, that you can throw if you want to yeet something across the room. But something nice and soft and tactile to remind us that, you know, mental health can be fun, but sometimes we need that tender love too. <laughs> so. Love it. And cool. marketing corner stuff. Not, not so much marketing, but I do want to point out like um, one of the things that I, I, I'm also grateful for in the field is the connection to community, at least for like when you're a student, like there's everybody's there. Um, and so I'm trying to rebuild that for associates um, through the association. So um, starting next year, I will be the pre-licensed rep for the Los Angeles Camped chapter yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay. super yeah. deeper that's yeah. so exciting thank you so if, for those of you that don't know camp is like the california association for marriage and family therapists and there's chap local chapters i'll be a part of the los angeles chapter um and so i'm just saying this out for anybody who's a student or anybody who wants to join uh what we do um who's an associate out there even um somebody who's a student or somebody who's licensed who just wants to know like what's going on like please check out los angeles camp we have a lot of events and this is a great time for you to build community to see what other therapists are doing and how they're doing it how you can be a part of the community um so definitely check out los angeles camp 
Okay. And joining the associations and different groups and all of those things is a bazillion there's a bazillion we can join. That's usually how legislation gets changed. That's how we do our social advocacy and justice work and things like that. So if you're a therapist out there that has some time on your hand, like, I don't, What's that? you know, <laughs> I know, right? Like join the professional organizations, get on their legislative committees that are out there making changes and, you know, let's get this shit going, doing good shit. Yeah. Good for you, Carissa. Yay. Thank you. Yeah, all these awesome Josh, did you have anything you wanted to share? No, really. <laughs> well, to wrap it up, no kittens today either. I'm looking a little sad. I thought I'd be at least uh, one. I'm, 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 I'm really trying to get the fosters back to the, to the humane society because <laughs> I can't afford to be on any more watch lists. <laughs> well next week or next recording i should say so december 10th we are going to have a special guest so for the december recording it's gonna be a little bit different due to the holidays so we'll have two guests um the second one i'm working on solidifying but for sure we're gonna have david's dad who is amazing his name is howard Serban. he has extensive experience working in the mental health courts he has also been the lead attorney for CPS, Child and Protective Services, but his main specialty is working with the elderly, especially those who have been abused or for those who have dementia and cannot represent themselves as well. And he has a lot of experience with conservatorships as well, which is a hot topic right now. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of headlines include like child abuse. We don't typically hear about elder abuse a lot. And I think it'd be really, really cool to hear from someone who has worked in this, who has dealt with couple conflicts, family conflict, and, and elder abuse as well. It'd be really interesting to hear from that perspective. So next recording is going to be a little bit different format. You're going to see an interview format, and then the group's going to be able to ask questions as well. So it's definitely a recording you don't want to miss. It's going to be super, super, super fun. But I wanted to thank you for joining us today, taking time off to listen to Spotify or watch us on YouTube. But thank you guys for joining us, and I can't wait to see you guys soon. Thanks.